Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, and that link will be in the show notes. We all have a set of beliefs that we've accepted as the truth, that we forgot to question them. We forgot to be flexible about them. We think they're true. We think we're unworthy. Welcome to the Less Stressed Life Podcast, where our only priority is providing those aha moments to uplevel your life, health, and happiness. Your host, integrative dietitian nutritionist Krista Bigler, helps health-conscious women reduce the stress and confusion around food, fatigue, digestive, and skin issues at LessStressNutrition.com. Now, on to the show. Okay, today on The Less Stressed Life, we have Dr. Nancy Maramar, who is a media and health psychologist, an on-air media expert, and a real conscious living coach and therapist. She's an international speaker and author of two award-winning books, Spiritual Fitness and Get Real, Produce Your Own Life, Spiritual Fitness. And I think I'm going to say that right. I'll have Nancy correct me in a moment. Her books are kind of very impressive because one of the awards she won was also won by the Dalai Lama in the same category of consciousness. So Get Real won first place in the self-help category at the author zone. Nancy's approach to therapy is one of real conscious living. Her work as a psychotherapist in private practice in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, includes over 30 years of experience. As a psychotherapist and coach, Dr. Nancy utilizes energy work, spiritual fitness coaching, EMDR, and hypnosis to heal past wounds and traumas and transform thought patterns into powerful, healthy ones. Today, she will share information about therapy treatment for anyone who wants to heal past beliefs and traumas. It is timely as more and more people are finding it helpful and recommending it to their friends. So the number of requests for EMDR, which stands for Eye Movement Desensitizing and Reprocessing, the need for this has grown and the interest in this has grown considerably. So we're talking about that today. Welcome, Dr. Nancy. So good to be here, Krista. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. So you're going to talk about something that, as we just stated, people are having a growing interest to, but it's sort of, it doesn't make sense when people hear about it. So EMDR, eye movement desensitizing and reprocessing. What is this? Where did it come from? Well, you know, there are so many acronyms in psychology and you have to be in the field to kind of really appreciate them. So let me break it down a little bit. EMDR does refer to eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. 
And I added to my practice about 20 years ago because of people coming in with trauma. And not everybody thinks they have trauma, but more people than you would expect actually do. And it can be a single incident trauma, or it can be a series of consecutive traumas over a lifetime. It can be being mistreated by a boss. That can be a traumatic issue. So about 20 years ago, when the American Psychological Association was working on the approval of EMDR as a sanctioned technique, I was also involved in a research study at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center to find out if EMDR really works. And it was under the direction of Dr. David Servenschreiber, this head psychiatrist at UPMC, the author of uh, The Instinct to Heal. And I got both levels of training, beginning and advanced, because I found that so many of my clients had experienced trauma that had created some negative beliefs that they were really living from in those wombs. And I really wanted to help empower people to believe in themselves again. So I want to focus on something you just said, which is trauma doesn't mean a car accident. It might mean a boss mistreating you. It's It can be little things or actually big things. I was seeing this manifest recently in a hormone test where we were looking at what the adrenals were doing. We were talking about the history of that client. And there was a lot of medical history, which was a trauma. And so the adrenals were basically kind of shutting down and saying, I cannot deal with this or I'm trying to be in survival mode, but I'm just barely surviving. Tell me what it looks like from your chair when people come in and maybe you don't recognize this as a trauma, but what are some common feelings or things that are manifesting um, that you may dig deeper and say, I think there is a traumatic experience here? Well, in the first session, we do a history and you're looking at some things from the history and sometimes it's very obvious, but if you ask someone if they ever had a trauma, they might say no. Mm -hmm. Okay. When people are stuck in a negative, uh, unproductive, emotional or mental pattern, I want to go in and I want to find out why. And so when I use EMDR, I don't just use that one tool alone. I use it in conjunction with a lot of other tools such as energy work and hypnosis because you have to really find out, okay, just because this person has an embedded trauma that changed their belief system, maybe EMDR is the best treatment and maybe it's not. If you have a person who's been severely traumatized, you want to be very careful about using just EMDR. And most people, however, I would say have mild to moderate traumas in their life. So when I mentioned a boss, if a boss is repeatedly insulting and demeaning you over a period of time and you come to my office and you say, I'm depressed, and we find out what the stressors are in your life and one of them is your boss, usually there'll be a single, what we call a single incident that represents the whole picture. So maybe there was one time when the boss embarrassed them in front of the whole staff. It's sort of the worst memory. And you use that as the thread to pull the rest of the memory away and, and to heal it. Okay, so this is an audio show. And we're talking about something that sounds a little abstract. What does it literally look like in your office to perform EMDR? So when someone comes in, if they talk about their trauma and then they leave, it's kind of like taking the trauma out of a file drawer and reading the file out loud and putting it back in the drawer. And then they leave and nothing has gotten better just because they've talked about it. It's actually possibly re-traumatizing just by talking about it. Mm -hmm. And so what we do with EMDR is we activate the whole brain. 
Now, what that means is that that trauma is embedded in the brain, and that trauma is connected to a lot of other events, thoughts, and feelings in the brain that may be what we call maladaptive neural networks. And we've got to access those networks and open up the whole brain in order to deal with it, not just that one little place in the brain that's like a file in a file cabinet. We want to get the whole brain actively involved. So what we do is we have the person do what is called bilateral stimulation. And the name of the treatment, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, was coined because originally the treatment involved tracking the eyes from left to right while talking about the trauma. Now, we found over time that that's a little bit cumbersome to be trying to release information and talk about the trauma in very specific kinds of ways while tracking visually. And it's also just as easy to use headphones that tap alternately on either side or to hold hand tappers that tap alternately in each hand to create the bilateral stimulation. Because you want to get to these maladaptive neural networks that I keep talking about and connect that old trauma with new information, with parts of the brain that know how to process, that are resourceful. And by talking about the trauma in a very specific and very structured way with EMDR, what you're doing is you're accessing the whole brain with the goal of allowing a person to complete an EMDR treatment protocol or program, which could take several weeks. Some therapists will do it in one long, long session and try to complete it in that session. But typically it's done over time if there are a number of traumas. And what you want is for that person to be able to look back on that trauma and not have a visceral reaction. And you can certainly appreciate that, that people actually can look back on that trauma and they're never going to tell you that it was fun, but they're not going to have a heavy emotional charge associated with it anymore because they processed it. They've let go of whatever negative beliefs they created about themselves as a result of the trauma, and they've let go of any physical symptoms that they may have adopted because of the trauma and any emotions, negative emotions that they may have been storing. Mm, I have some thoughts about this, but you just said something I wanted to poke at, which was they may heal any physical symptoms that they have because of the trauma. Can you give us an example? Yes. So during an EMDR treatment, someone may experience physical symptoms that were or were not there before the treatment session began. And that is the body saying, hey, I'm storing this emotion here. This is where I'm holding this. And so it becomes a part of the treatment. So as the person talks about the issue and follows the structure of releasing the information and processing it, we watch the physical symptom move. Now, move means it usually it may get better before it gets worse, but as they continue talking, it will most likely improve and release and disappear potentially within the context of the treatment as the mental and emotional patterns are released. It sounds like what's going on in your office could actually be a little bit tiring for both maybe you and the client that's sitting across from you. Is that correct? Well, it can be a lot of work for the client. It's not a lot of work for the therapist. It's actually the least amount of work that I do on any given day in my office because of the amount of time that the client is holding the tappers, wearing the headphones, following the protocol, releasing the information. Uh, the therapist does not 
intervene too much and does not direct it too much like they do in a normal treatment session. You would interact a great deal more than the therapist actually does during EMDR because you want that person to allow what's going to come up to come up without pushing them in any direction or sort of trying to pull information to uh, create some awareness. You want them to just sort of free associate everything and anything that comes up. So even if it's their boss, something may have happened with a teacher in the fifth grade and we need that to come up. And I can't bring that up because I wasn't there. Mm -hmm. I want to just kind of recap on what it looks like in your office. I loved the example you gave about taking a file out of a drawer, reading it, and then putting it back in the drawer and maybe creating like re stimulating the trauma that's already there. And so this is more like helping the body process something that maybe it has not processed in the past. And you just keep reliving it through like you just keep letting that past in your history, maybe the way something your dad always said to you, or something that happened at school, and you're letting it manifest in your current relationships. It's helping you process it in a different way. And how that actually looks is you talking about it, you digging deep, talking more about that. And then the therapist is over there and there's a few options. You can either hold these two devices that kind of buzz in either hand, right? Or you can have headphones on and you can get sounds in either headphone. And so it's supposed to like stimulate either side or the visual tracking, which doesn't make perfect sense to me. It sounds like that would be very complicated, as you kind of said. And so maybe it's not very used as much anymore. So you're stimulating either side of the brain to try to help stimulate the whole brain and allow your body to process that past history or trauma. Is that on point? I would just, in the last statement you made, that you're allowing your mind and your emotions and your body to process past trauma. Got it. Yes. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. So afterwards, people could feel a little exhausted after a session, possibly. How would they know that this has helped? What are the things that they see? Well, we rate the level of disturbance in a couple of different ways. We rate the thoughts, we rate the emotions, we rate the body sensations, and then we go through a treatment one session. And one session, the first session may actually increase those ratings that we give to those parts of ourselves until they start to go down. As you bring things up, it's like taking a software that's on a computer and beginning the delete process. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that stalls your computer while you're deleting something that's really old that got stuck on there and you didn't even know it was on there. It's like a virus in the subconscious and what you're doing is deleting and it takes time. So you know that you're getting better when those levels of intensity of disturbance go down and you as the client rate them as getting smaller and smaller and smaller until you can think about that trauma without an emotional response. As I said, you may not, you will never assess the incident as positive unless, of course, there was a silver lining, which is often the case. But you won't get disturbed to think about it and you'll be able to think about it and talk about it without having biological symptoms or emotional responses. Cool. And you won't fall back into the old belief that it created. Yeah, yeah. So people have these self-limiting or negative beliefs because of the past trauma, right? And so now they can create a new belief that's not negative. Yes, because after you sort of clean out the old software, you put in some new software, which is a specific positive set of thoughts and feelings that relate to this trauma that are usually somewhat of the opposite. What is it that you want to install in your computer? How do you want to feel? What do you want to believe about yourself? And then that's the final part of the treatment where you say we've cleaned out the old business. Now we have to install something new. So when the client is talking about the history and digging deeper and kind of looking, you know, just 
talking through that. Are you stimulating the tappers or the sounds in the headphones at the what you think is the appropriate time? Yes. Yes, you're watching a person's breath pattern. You're watching the client's level of eye activity. Even if their eyes are closed, you're watching the eye movement. And you're sort of assessing when things are coming to a, a good point to stop and say, okay, what's coming up? What came up? Where did you get to and during that particular time period? And then they tell you, and then you go back in, continue to stimulate with the tappers or the headphones. Okay. So you've been using this for a long time. 20 years is quite a while, a lot of experience. So on average, sometimes this takes a few sessions, sometimes it takes longer. Do you have some stories or a couple success stories that you can share with us of some things that you've seen as a result of using EMDR in your practice? Well, without using specific case studies, because of course, it's confidential. What I can say is that I had one client, and I'll mention this because I think you would really appreciate it, uh, Krista. I had a client who processed her entire trauma through the body while we were using uh, the headphones at the time. She would experience a physical symptom, and then she would talk about it, and then the symptom would change, and then it would move to another place in the body. And the body was actually doing the whole process for her. She was a very kinesthetically oriented person, and so that was what really was happening for her. Everything must have been stored for her in the brain-body connection. So that was fascinating. And that was the single client. But otherwise, clients will begin specific stories. I have to be very careful (laughs) about specific stories because of confidentiality. But what happens is that people come in and they will discover, okay, this is a specific thing my mother said to me when I was two, and I remember it, and I still remember it, and I want to release it, and I don't want my life to be running from this two-year-old. What happens is, at whatever age the emotion of the trauma gets stuck, you kind of get sort of frozen there. The emotional maturity doesn't move on in certain ways beyond that time of trauma. And so we went back and addressed her two-year-old. And of course, her 45-year-old was helping the two-year-old process, which was a beautiful thing when you get the current self and the past traumatized self working together. And so after EMDR, I may continue to check on the mind-body to see if there's anything stored by using energy work or hypnosis. So it's not just a one-stop shopping. I don't usually do only EMDR with anyone. Well, that leads me to my next question, which is there's a few tools in your toolbox. And one thing I would love you to explain is you note that your approach to therapy is real conscious living. What does that mean? What that means is that we're all walking around in a trance. The famous Milton Erickson, who was the founder of modern hypnosis, said life is consecutive hypnosis. And what he meant by that is that we all have a set of beliefs that we've accepted as the truth, that we forgot to question them. We forgot to be flexible about them. We think they're true. We think we're unworthy. For a narcissist, you think you're more deserving than someone else. And people live from these what we call hypnotic trances, because somehow, somewhere along the course of your life, certain things happen that brought these beliefs to mind or these emotions into the body and you adopted them as the truth. And so when I use hypnosis, what I'm doing is saying, is that really true? 
Is that really serving you? Is that really accurate? And breaking illusions. So real conscious living is about living in the moment, in the truth, not in something you brought to it, not in a previous assessment, not in some idea you have about it or a judgment you have about it. It's really being present to what's going on. And I apply it a great deal in my work with media which I've done over the course of my career because, you know, media is sort of this wonderful illusion that we create when we go to the movies and we love that. But we're really unwrapping and unwinding that now because uh, even in fairy tales, we're having more empowered women. Mm -hmm. So tell me about when you think hypnosis, when do you use hypnosis most in practice? We talked a bit about EMDR and we won't talk a lot about hypnosis, but I just want to talk about some of the other tools in the toolbox. People may have positive or negative connotations about that. What do you think it's useful for? Well, hypnosis is not what people think it is. You can have what is called post-hypnotic suggestion where someone tells you, you know, the next time you want to smoke a cigarette, you're going to do something else instead. That's a very simple form of hypnosis. What we do is we go back into the belief system and we say to the brain, what we do is we remind the brain how resourceful it is and how it forgot that. So if somebody comes in and says, I, my life has been ruined and I'm constantly depressed because of what happened to me when I was 12, that's a belief that has become the truth for them. And so by using hypnosis, we remind their brain how many possibilities there are, how many options there are, how many ways there are to solve problems. And we empower the brain to do what it needs to do without telling the client what they need, just reminding their brain, hey, you can solve this, you can fix this, and it might occur today and you might dream about it, or you might talk to somebody tomorrow that gives you the answer. You're opening up the client's resources so that they take back their power, really, is what all of these therapies are about, is taking back your power. Yeah. So lastly, your book, Spiritual Fitness, tell me what spiritual fitness is. Spiritual fitness is a life that is spirit driven. So, you know, we get so busy. We're career driven. We're family driven. We're health driven. And spiritual fitness is about saying, well, I'm spiritually driven. That's the core. That's my soul. That's my core. So if I'm spiritually driven and I know who I am spiritually, how my spirituality expresses itself or is felt, then how does that impact my family and my career and my health and my daily schedule? And it's sort of operating from the core as opposed to operating from the outside in. That would be a good summary. Mm -hmm. So Dr. Nancy, thanks so much for talking to us about EMDR, which is not a one-stop shop, but it's really a way, it's a tool for someone to process deep pains, traumas, hurts that are manifesting in their life now and creating issues, untrue things, the things that are just not beneficial to their current and future life. It's something that I keep hearing more and more about. I have some clients come to me and say it was totally life-changing and it's something I want to be able to refer people to if something that we feel like can be helpful to them. And I'm sure it can be helpful to anyone. So where can people find you online? Well, my website is www.realconsciousliving.com. And there you will find uh, there's a library of resources there on a lot of different topics that you can pull up on uh, through my blogs. And that may be helpful for someone, too, or they may want to give me a call. If someone was listening today and they felt like you were speaking directly to them, what is your gut reaction to leave them with today? What is a message you want to let them know that can help them live a better life starting today? You can feel better. 
<laughs> You're not stuck. It's not over. What happened to you does not define you. You are in charge and you just have to get back in the saddle and find ways to step up there. Great advice. Thanks so much for coming on today, Dr. Nancy. I really enjoyed it. Me too. Thanks, Krista. One of the best gifts you could give us at The Less Stress Life is your feedback. We are paid in podcast reviews. If you enjoyed this or any other episode, please leave us a review. In the iTunes store or from your podcast app, just search for Less Stress Life as if you're not already subscribed. Click on the banana face image, scroll to the bottom where it shows the text of other reviews, and write a review. While you're there, hey, make sure you hit subscribe. For Android or Stitcher users, you gotta go to the desktop site and search for Less Stress Life and then scroll down to leave a review. Stitcher doesn't load Apple reviews on their site, so if you want, you can leave a review in both places. Your feedback means a lot to the success of the show. Thanks so much for taking the time to do that. You rock. 